text this morning is Proverbs 10, verses 15 and 16. Proverbs 10, verses 15 and 16. The title of the message is, The Skill of Making Money. The Skill of Making Money. I bet you've never heard a sermon on making money. Well, that's where the text leads us this morning. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. The wage of the righteous leads to life. The gain of the wicked to sin. I'll read it again. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. The wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Money matters. Money matters to God. Money matters to us. Money matters to the church. Money is a big deal. It is the financial currency of human life. We must see that. We must admit that. And we must also deal with that all the way down to the very core of our hearts. You see, we have a problem with money so often because of our fallenness. We either deify money or we demonize it. By deify it, I mean we make it out to be God. We make it out to be a Savior. It it will deliver us from our problems. It will make us happy. It will make us joyful. It will make us satisfied. It will give us all the things that we've longed to to, to want and to have and and to behold and to enjoy. And so we look at money and we say, Oh, if I could just have that, my life would feel full. We deify it. We make it a savior or we demonize it. We we don't even like the thought of money. We don't like to talk about it. We don't want to deal with it as, as, as much as we could just put it out of our minds and away from our thoughts. We would be most happy because we don't like to think about money. Make no mistake, church. Money is a powerful thing. It is a powerful thing. It will either be a blessing to you or it will be a curse to you. It will either be a resource that you use to love and serve God or it will be a resource that you use to love and serve yourself. What the text before us is indicating is that there is a way to make money that pleases God that provides personal stability, and it pours blessings into the lives of the people around you. And there's another way to make money that angers God, abuses people, and produces personal arrogance. Now, this text does not condemn wealth. It doesn't even take a neutral stance toward wealth. It commends wealth. It, it's, it implies that wealth leads to strength and stability. 
Now, this text does condemn poverty. Poverty is not good. A deficiency of the basic needs of human life is a bad thing, and ultimately, it's a destructive thing. And that's why that the poverty of the poor leads to ruin. Now, the wage of a righteous person leads to a life of blessing, whereas the gain of a wicked person leads to more and more sin. If you look down at the text in both 15 and 16, there are four clauses And one common denominator in each clause is money. In the first clause, we see much money. In the second clause, we see no money. In the third clause, we see money righteously earned. And in the fourth clause, we see money wickedly earned. I think what if we were to rephrase these two proverbs for simplicity's sake, for clarity's sake, we could simply say a rich man's wealth is his strong city, a poor man's poverty is his ruin, a righteous man's paycheck leads to life, a wicked man's gain leads to sin. What I want to do is I want to give you four principles about money that this text teaches And after we look at those principles, I want to give you some applications on how to make and steward money for the glory of God. So the first principle that we see in this proverb is the refuge of wealth. The refuge of wealth. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. What is a refuge? A refuge is a place of protection from danger. Protection from trouble. And that's basically what this proverb is teaching. Not in a spiritual sense or an ultimate sense, but certainly in a practical and physical sense. Wealth is having an ample supply of the basic necessities of life. It's having an abundance of basic necessities of life. And so as I said a couple of minutes ago, the Bible does not condemn wealth. It doesn't take a neutral stance toward wealth. It commends wealth as a good thing. This proverb teaches that wealth produces financial stability and personal strength. And the point of describing wealth as a strong city is to highlight how wealth can protect you against the dangers of life. As a strong city can keep attackers and invaders out, so wealth can keep problems out. Envision with me, if you will, an ancient city that stands on top of a mountain. It is guarded by four walls that are 25 feet in the air. At the four corners of these walls are soldiers who stand guard day and night keeping a lookout for potential intruders or invaders. Inside the walls of this city are gardens, springs, animals, everything necessary to sustain daily life. This city is a refuge. It is a place of protection from danger, protection from trouble. That's what a rich man's wealth is. It is a place of stability and strength in the midst of trouble. Listen, if you have wealth, if you have an abundance of financial resources, do you know what will happen if you get into a car accident 
Well, if you've had enough money to pay your full coverage insurance premiums, insurance bills, then what happens? You're able to have your car repaired. Or even if your car is totaled, you get another car that is going to be paid for because you had enough money to purchase full coverage insurance. Or if you have a plumbing problem, and let's just say pipes are bursting within the walls and you've got water that is just dripping out of the ceiling down into the living room, and, and, and here you are. You don't have any money. You're in a world of hurt. But if you have an abundance of resources, then you can pay the money that is required for a plumber to come and fix your house. Your child is sick, struggling with flu-like symptoms, fever, runny nose, headache, all of that. And you've got enough money in your account to be able to go down to the pharmacy and purchase the medication that is necessary for your child to get better? You see, your wealth in this case is a strong city. It gives you stability and personal strength. I know a man who had a serious and rare illness, but he had the financial means to fly to a city in the Midwest and to be treated by one of the few doctors in the world who could help someone with his condition. Today, that man is physically strong. His wealth was his strong city in his day of trouble. What is this proverb teaching first? It's teaching the refuge of wealth. Wealth protects you from the many dangers of life. Wealth provides you with many opportunities in life. Wealth should ultimately point you to Jesus Christ, who is the giver of all good gifts. We'll see that later on in the message. The first principle about money is the refuge of wealth. The second principle is the ruin of poverty. The ruin of poverty. The text says, the poverty of the poor is their ruin. The Bible condemns poverty. Poverty is not good. Whenever you have a deficiency of the basic needs of human life, that is a bad thing and not a good thing. And is ultimately a destructive thing. Poverty leads to ruin. This word ruin is used elsewhere in Scripture, especially in Psalm 89, to describe a city in ruins. A city that has been completely plundered, completely destroyed. And so, this statement stands in direct contrast to the strong city of the rich. I want you to envision with me right now a family of five. The parents are scarcely educated. The husband has worked factory jobs in the past, living paycheck to paycheck in the best of their days. But recently has lost his job when the company shut down its operation about a year ago. And so he has no job. The wife cares for their small children at home. They have one car. It doesn't work because the transmission went out on it three months ago. They have no money to fix it. Their air conditioning unit doesn't work. Their oven quit working two months ago. One of their children has a constant battle with sickness that causes vomiting frequently. 
He stays in the bed most of the time. Food is scarce around this house. Shelter is inadequate. Health care is woefully insufficient. They are miserable and hopeless because they see no way out of their troubles. Consequently, their marriage is in trouble. The children are struggling physically and emotionally. It feels like there's no hope whatsoever. You see, the poverty of the poor is their ruin. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. You see, poverty exposes you to the many dangers of human life. It limits you in your opportunities in life. And it should point you to Jesus Christ who will ultimately and richly supply all your needs. We'll address that a little later. And so, you have the refuge of wealth, you have the ruin of poverty. The third principle that this proverb teaches is the reward of righteousness. The wage of the righteous leads to life, the text says. The righteous person is a person who lives in harmony with the righteous character of God. A righteous person first says, I have no righteousness of my own. I am a sinful and unrighteous person. I need God's righteousness. And so this person believes in Jesus Christ. He exchanges his own unrighteousness for Christ's righteousness. He exchanges his own sinful spirit for the Holy Spirit. He exchanges the mindset of a wicked man for the mindset of Christ, the perfect man. And so what does he do? He stops lying and deceiving and he starts speaking the truth and dealing honestly. He stops stealing and he starts working hard. He stops coveting other people's stuff and he starts giving resources to people in need. He stops hating people in better position than him and he starts rejoicing in their successes. He stops complaining about his circumstances and he starts thanking God for all the wonderful blessings that he has in his life. He stops scheming about how he can build his own kingdom and he starts praying about how he can play a part in the building of God's kingdom. He becomes an honest, hardworking, generous, loving, and thankful man. You see, he makes money, and he uses money in a way that glorifies God and enhances life. That kind of character, that kind of change of life leads to eternal life, abundant life. The righteous man uses the money that he earns in a way that promotes life. If you think about our four pillars, worship, fellowship, discipleship, and mission, the righteous man, he first uses his money to worship. He gives money to the Lord's work. He uses his money to enhance fellowship. He exercises hospitality, especially to the poor. He uses his money for discipleship. 
He, he takes classes and buys books and reads and deepens his knowledge of God. He uses his money for the gospel mission. He invests resources into the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ in his community, in his region, and in his world. Righteousness stands in opposition to selfishness. Righteousness stands in oneness with Jesus Christ. Righteousness invests money in things that promote and enhance life. It's the reward of righteousness. And the fourth principle that we learn in this passage is the return of wickedness. The return of wickedness. The gain of the wicked leads to sin. You see, money in the hands of the righteous person is a positive thing, but money in the hands of a wicked person is a negative thing. If a righteous person is someone who lives in harmony with the righteous character of God, then a wicked man is someone who lives in opposition to God's righteousness. The wicked person is self-centered, self-righteous, self-preserving. If you look at the life of Jesus and the murder of Jesus, we see that Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Self-centeredness. We see that the Jewish leaders condemned Jesus for who he was and what he was doing in and around Jerusalem. Why did they condemn him? Because they were jealous of him. They were envious of him. And, and he was stealing from them the glory that they wanted for themselves. Self-righteousness. And they hand him over to Pilate. And though Pilate sees that he's an innocent man, and though Pilate sees that he is a godly man, Pilate still goes through with the crucifixion and gives the soldiers the order to crucify him. Why? Because Pilate feared men more than he feared God. Self-preservation. You see, whenever we are wicked, we need to look no further than ourselves. Self-centeredness, self-righteousness, self-preservation. Now notice the contrasting consequences. The righteous person's wage leads to life, while the wicked person's leads to sin. The natural contrast would be really between life and death, but here it's between life and sin. The idea here is that righteous that the righteous will use it for things that enhance life, whereas the wicked will apply their wealth toward things that harm life. I mean, the obvious examples are things like gambling, overeating, drunkenness, prostitution. Look, those, those are like the overt things that wicked people use with their money. They use their money in that way in order to really harm life. But some of the not so obvious examples would be just the accumulation of houses and cars and clothes and jewelry and vacations and boats and anything that promotes the glory of self and ignores the glory of God and overlooks the needs of others. 
That's the return of wickedness. It leads to more and more sin due to self-centered, self-righteous, self-preserving nature of sin itself. Now, since wealth is a good thing, and poverty is a bad thing, and since righteousness leads to life and wickedness leads to sin and death, I want to give you some biblical instructions in how to make money and how to steward money in a righteous way. So here you go, right right here. Basic instructions for making money and stewarding it for the glory of God. First, live righteously. Live righteously. Put your faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Humble yourself underneath the Word of God and let it shape your character. Live a lifestyle of putting off the deeds of the flesh and putting on the fruit of the Spirit. Be someone who repents quickly. Listen, there are plenty of Christians who are stuck in financial quicksand. And one of the main reasons is that they don't prioritize worshiping God or living for God or repenting of sin or possessing the character of God. God will not bless unrighteousness. God will not bless self-centeredness. God will not bless self-righteousness or a spirit of self-preservation. What will God bless? He will bless a spirit of humility, a desire for godliness, and a commitment to grow in grace. Let me tell you something. There are too many Christians who are struggling financially who do not prioritize humbling themselves under the mighty hand of God and under the authoritative Word of God and say to themselves, I want to be godly. I want to grow in grace. I want to grow in my understanding and in my love for King Jesus. And so they, they ignore They ignore their own relationship with God and their need for intimacy with God. They don't sit under sermons and say, feed me, Lord. They don't go to Wednesday night Bible study or they don't have family worship at home. They don't have their personal time in the Word each day and they don't pray to the Lord. And and even though they don't do all this, they expect somehow God's financial blessing. And I want to tell you as God's messenger, messenger today, that will not happen until you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and you begin to walk righteously. Hebrews 12 says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which so clings closely to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Listen, if you want to make money and steward your money for the glory of God, live righteously. Second, work diligently. Work diligently. Last week, we studied in depth that a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. This is a fact. If you are lazy in your work, you will bring poverty on yourself and those who depend on you. But if you're diligent in your work, you'll bring wealth to yourself and those who depend on you. 
Lazy people are empty people. They're empty of motivation and vision and worship and love. Whereas diligent people are full people, full of motivation and vision and hope and love for God and love for others. We we live in a culture where you can be lazy and get away with it for quite a while. Parents condone laziness. Grandparents condone laziness. The government condones laziness. Friends condone laziness. Don't be that guy or that gal who is lazy. You'll never make the money that God has intended you to make and steward with a spirit of laziness. Instead, work diligently. Because he who is faithful with a little will be faithful with much. I have a friend who who worked for a construction company from the time that he was 14 years old. The owner of the construction company observed how hard my friend worked. And he gave him regular raises in pay. He promoted him as the years went on. And when it was time for the owner to retire, he didn't hand the keys to the business to his sons or daughters. He didn't hand the keys to his business to his his nephews or nieces. He He didn't sell the company to some other rival company. No, what did he do? He handed them to my friend because he knew that my friend would run that company the right way. Do you think my friend expected that? No, he he didn't expect it. But my friend was faithful in a little, and God knew that he would be faithful in much. And he is. He's very faithful with that construction company. And so, I not only want to tell you today, if you want to earn money and steward it well, you need to live righteously, but you need to work diligently. You also need to earn creatively. Earn creatively. Creatively, The Proverbs 31 woman is a great example of this. We'll get there in a number of weeks, but that passage says that she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. What it? What is, what is that text saying? It's saying that she's creative in the way she invests her time and energy in order to make money and steward money. This is a good thing. We live in a day and time when creativity is rewarded. Through the blessing of the internet, you can produce goods and personally sell them and ship them anywhere in the world. I know a lady who's doing artwork on wooden crates. And then she sells her work on the internet and at art shows and at the mall at Oxford Fest this coming weekend. She's making good money by using her artistic skill and she has very little overhead. I know a man who cuts a few yards in addition to his regular day job. He actually has a couple of sons who help him and they use the additional money for Christmas and family vacation and saving for the boys' college. Listen, the Bible commends earning money creatively. And I encourage you to do the same. What gifts, what skills, what passions do you have that you could use to make money for stewarding it for the glory of God? Fourth instruction I want to 
give to you is to give generously. Give generously. Proverbs 3 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Wow. That, that, that text is saying that if you give to the Lord first, if when you receive income, you give to the Lord out of a heart of worship, out of a heart of thanksgiving, out of a heart of gratitude for all that God has done for you. And this is your act of worship. What is God going to do? He is going to bless you. He is going to enrich you. He is going to multiply what it is that you bring in so that you can steward it for His glory and enjoy it for His pleasure and be a blessing to people. And so I want to be very clear this morning, church. Give to the church of Jesus Christ. Give to your family who needs you. Give to your friends who needs you. Give to advance the gospel in this community, in this region, and this world. If you're righteous, the more money you earn, the bigger blessing you can be to the glory of God and to the children of God and to the people who need God. Every wealthy Christian has been given the gift and the responsibility of giving generously. There is no such thing as a wealthy, stingy Christian. I will say that again. There is no such thing as a wealthy, stingy Christian. It's a contradiction of terms. Proverbs says, Whoever gives to the poor will not want but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. The fact is, Jesus Christ has given everything so that you and I could have the riches of forgiveness, the riches of grace, the riches of salvation, the riches of deep, intimate fellowship with Almighty God. He gave up everything so you and I could be rich. And when we understand the generosity of our Savior, we will embrace a spirit of generosity with our money. Give generously. Save prudently. Save prudently. Proverbs 21.20 says, Precious treasure and oil are in a man's house. That is, a wise man's house. But a foolish man devours it. In other words, a foolish man devours precious treasure, precious oils. The point here is that a wise person lays aside some of his wealth for the future and for times of need. But the fool spends his entire income and lives paycheck to paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. And whatever money he gets in, he immediately spends and devours because that's what he does. That's what a fool does. This proverb is saying that you should save money to accommodate for the times when you lose your job. When your car breaks down. When your appliances go out. Or you want to buy a house. You are to save money prudently. Now, saving money takes wisdom. It takes discipline. 
to make and steward money wisely, you've got to learn to save. Otherwise, you'll get caught in the trap of using credit cards to buy things that you need with money that you don't actually have. And I took a class once. The instructor of the class said that credit card companies believe that if they can get you $800 in debt, then they've got you for life. They've got you for life because it's hard to overcome that amount of money when you live paycheck to paycheck. Save prudently. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's house. Invest wisely. Invest wisely. If you read the parable of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 25 and 26, he tells this story about this this man who divvies out five talents to one steward, two talents to another steward, and and another one talent to another steward, a servant. And the the one with five talents turns, turns it into ten talents, and the one with two talents turns it into four. But the one with one talent doesn't turn it into anything. He just goes and buries it in the ground. And then when the master comes back, he goes and digs it out and takes it back to the master. And listen to what the master says to this servant. He says, you wicked and slothful servant. You ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. You see, through this teaching, Jesus is commending investing. What is investing? Investing is using your money to earn more money. That's what investing is. And I'm not in the business of of offering financial investment advice about where you need to invest, but I would tell you that savings accounts and CDs and money market accounts and mutual funds, things like that are certainly well within the bounds of Christians investing so that they can use their money to make more money. And so I want to encourage you, I want to commend to you investing wisely if you want to make and steward money for the glory of God. Seventh, I want to tell you, plan methodically. Proverbs 27 says, Know well the condition of your flocks, and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? You see, it is crucial to know what you have, to know what you make, to know what you spend, and how it all shakes out in the end. I encourage you to take inventory of your income. Take inventory of your expenses. Even craft a budget. Because if you want to make money and steward money faithfully, then you must ask yourself some important questions. You have to ask yourself, am I methodically exercising a financial plan? Or do I merely spend money carelessly, impulsively even, with little or no regard for future implications? Look, Proverbs 21, verse 5 and 6 says, The plans of the diligent lead lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The plans of the diligent lead to abundance. But those who are hasty come to poverty. I encourage you to plan methodically with the money 
that you have, with the money that you make, with the money that you spend. Leads to number eight, which is spend carefully. Spend carefully. Some of you have heard of ancient Chinese proverbs. I want to give you a contemporary American proverb. Here it is, right here. If your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. It's a fact. Listen, if, if, if there is more money going out than there is going in, then what you're trying to keep up is ultimately going to be destroyed. And so you've got to spend very carefully. Spend wisely. I'm not saying don't spend at all. We all have to spend. I remember a man told me, he was giving me some financial advice back when I was in my 20s and He was probably in his 60s at the time. And he said, you know, one thing that my wife and I have learned to do is when we go out to the mall, maybe even shopping, we'll we'll go into a shoe store and I'll try on a pair of shoes. And I'll really like them. And I'll really want to get them. But we put the shoes back in the box. We tell the salesperson who's waiting on us, thank you, and that we might be back. And then we go and walk all the way around the mall. And after about 20 or 30 minutes of walking around the mall, if I still feel like I need those shoes and I I really need them, then I'll go back and purchase them. But oftentimes we've seen through decades of our marriage that if we just walk away from the store and just then begin to walk around and get a little bit less emotional about it, we oftentimes just walk right onto our car and go home and don't even miss the pair of shoes. That was really good advice. You want to spend carefully. On, on how we how we use our money. Ninth, deal honestly. Deal honestly. Proverbs 10, verse 2 says, Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Let me give an example here. Let's say you're trying to sell your house. Your house has had some termite problems I want to tell you right now don't hide termite damage when you're trying to sell your house either fix the problem or disclose the problem to those who would buy the house don't go by the old adage what they don't know won't hurt them Listen, it will hurt them. And in the end, it will hurt you because God will not bless deceit. God will not bless wickedness. Righteousness delivers from death. So deal honestly with people in whatever business that you interact with, in in whatever business you do. And pray earnestly. It is not unspiritual to pray about money, to pray about your need for money, and your stewardship of money. Listen, Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. What he means by that is, Father, would you give us today everything that we need to live our lives? Folks, please spend time in prayer for your financial circumstances, that God may bless you and that He might use you as a conduit, a channel of His grace as He prospers you financially.
11th, I would just want to tell you, enjoy worshipfully. Now, this is huge. Enjoy money worshipfully. Proverbs 10, verse 22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and He adds no sorrow with it. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and He adds no sorrow with it. This is what I want to tell you this morning. As you make money for the glory of God, and as you steward your money for the glory of God, enjoy the blessings that come with it. Plan a family vacation if you have money to be able to go on a family vacation. Go on the vacation. Go out to eat with your family. Let, them, let your kids go for rides or whatever the case may be. Enjoy the beach or enjoy an amusement park and, and really revel in the fact that God has blessed you with the ability to go and do that as a family and worship Him all along the way. And, and, and even pause and pray and thank God for the provision that your family has to be able to enjoy things like a vacation or pleasures like popcorn and a movie night on a Friday night. Listen, enjoy the blessing of God and don't feel guilty about it. Why? Because the blessing of the Lord makes rich and He adds no sorrow with it. I really want to add this one for especially married couples. Discuss lovingly. Discuss money lovingly. Scripture says, seek peace and pursue it. And so husband and wife, I just want to say, when you discuss money, when you talk about it, and especially if there is a contrary opinion, the, the wife feels one way about the expenditure of money and the husband feels another way about it. I just simply want to say, do your very best to, un, to understand one another. Do your very best to, to try to enter into the heart and the mind and the desire of, the, of, of your spouse. Pray together. Be humble toward one another and ask the Lord to give you oneness of thought and desire with respect to the money decision that you're about to make. I want to say steward faithfully. Steward your money faithfully. Go back to that parable that Jesus taught about the the stewards where one servant turned the five talents into ten, the other turned two into four, and the one turned it into, well, nothing. God has called you and I to be stewards of His money. When I receive a paycheck and I go put that paycheck in the bank, I understand that that money, it's not my money. It's God's money that He has entrusted me to steward faithfully. When you get a paycheck or you earn some cash somehow, the first thing that we need, that you need to realize is that this is not your money. This is God's money that He has entrusted you to steward faithfully for His glory. And finally, I want to tell you, guard your heart zealously. Guard your heart zealously. Proverbs 4.23 says, whoever trusts... I'm sorry, Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart with all vigilance, with all diligence, because from it flow the wellsprings of life. 
From it flow the issues of life. And I want to tell you, there are a couple of things that grip your heart harder and, and, more, and, and more effectively than a lot of other things in life. Sex and money. Money will grip your heart. It will clench onto you. It will be like vice grips that are locked into your heart that completely control your thoughts, completely controls your desires. It will dictate whether or not you are happy or sad, whether or not you are fulfilled or empty, whether or not you feel excited about life or depressed about life. Money has that kind of control and that kind of power. And so you must guard your heart with all vigilance. And you give your heart to God. You give your heart to worship Him, to love Him, to enjoy Him, to be pleased with Him. Look, this is is why the Proverbs writer says, look, I don't want to be rich and I don't want to be poor. Give me, give me somewhere in the middle because I don't want the, the, the destitution of poverty, but I don't want to be swept away by the allurement of wealth and all that it can provide for me. He was a wise man who said that. I want to say this to you today. Wealth is not a bad thing. Wealth can be a good thing when you make it a source of worship and stewardship before God. But wealth can be a terrible thing if it becomes a God thing in your life and you put God aside and you make it at the center of your life. And I will tell you, I will tell you, if you make wealth, if you make money the central aspect of your life, what you're saying to God is, I don't worship you, God. I worship you money. I worship money. And in the end, God will say to you, depart from me. I never knew you. Because you see, you worship money, not me. This morning, I want to call you to investigate your own heart. To investigate your own life. To investigate your use of money. If you've been listening to this sermon and you feel real affirmed in the way that you're dealing with your finances, and I just want to say, praise God. Praise God that He's given you spiritual vision. Praise God that He's given you a spirit of stewardship. Praise God that you're using your money for His glory, for His honor, and for other people's good. But if there are things in your life right now that you know you are being disobedient to the Lord in financially, I want to give you this time right now to do spiritual inventory of your attitude toward money and the investment of your money. And I'll ask God to give you a spirit of repentance and a plan for future success. God, I pray right now for the people of Redeemer Church that we would both make money and use money for your glory, for our joy, and for everyone's good. In the name of Jesus Christ and for his sake, amen.